This is episode 38 of Unfinished Business. It wouldn't be possible without our two sponsors this week, Hammer for Mac and Perch. Today is Saturday, September 28th, 2013. Before we get into the show, I want to bring you a little piece of news about Unfinished Business. Regular listeners will know that Anna Debenham and I started the show back in January, and we've been talking about planning and making a podcast together about business for a couple of months before that. So over 38 weeks, we've talked about ice cream, proper soap in hotel rooms, or the lack of it, apes, and the business end of the web. We talked about finding work, dealing with people, getting paid, and what happens when things go wrong. We talked about those things honestly and from our own, sometimes very different perspectives. Anna and I didn't know each other very well when we started the show, but as the weeks passed, we've developed a rapport that I know people enjoy. We enjoy making the show too, and we love that people like it. Now, I don't want to put words into Anna's mouth, but as funny and as talented as she is, Anna's not as comfortable with the attention, both good and bad, that speaking at conferences and doing podcasts like this can bring. Now, I'm sure you've seen some of the horrible things that female and sometimes male speakers and contributors have endured over the past couple of years. And no one want that, wants that for Anna least alone Anna herself. She's happier writing code and working with games consoles and has no intention of becoming a personality that might attract the type of unwanted attention that she fears. So Anna's decided to take a break from the show. She's okay. Don't worry about her. You'll still find her on Twitter talking about pork buns. And she might sometimes pop back up here or on other podcasts, but she won't be joining me every week. I'm really, really sad about that. I'm going to miss her. I'm going to miss the way that over the last 38 weeks and almost 32 hours, talking to Anna finished off my week with a smile. So I want to say thank you to Anna for everything that she's done, both for me, on and off the mic, and personally, as well as for the show. Show goes on, as they say. It's going to be different, but I think you'll enjoy the difference. And I'll be picking up the conversation with some great and varied guests each week, and I hope we'll do Anna proud. Sad, that, isn't it? It is. Very sad. Yeah, poor girl. But, you know, I think it's just, I don't know, it's its a tricky one. And I don't, don't want to talk about it for too long, but people sometimes say, oh, well, you know, if you put yourself up there, um, you know, if you mm. do conference talks or, you know, you do a podcast, then, you know, you should grow a thicker skin. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's not as easy as that, is it? No, and I think a lot of it is so unnecessary as well we had um similar thing like on we've taken comments off our site now because someone just put something really really offensive on there the other day and you're like why why would you do that you know just like you're a or something oh, we might thanks. have to bleep that one out <laughs> that's fine that's fine <laughs> no but um it's just like why would you take the time to write that <laughs> yeah I mean, I think there's a, there's a difference. I mean, bad behavior is bad behavior, mm. in my view. And, you know, that's just plainly bad behavior. It's got nothing to do with, you know, the web or necessarily, <laughs> you know, our industry or anything like that. Um, I think what, what hurts me the most is that a lot of the negativity comes from people that are in our industry. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fueled by jealousy as well, a lot of it. Um, I, and maybe frustration as well. I think there's a lot of that. Um, 
And you know, I don't want to dwell on it for too long because that's you know that's not what the show's about. Um, but I uh, but it makes me sad. Mm, definitely. Um, that <laughs> bright people, very bright people, and it's not just um, not just Anna. I know of lots of other people that. Um, that would like to get into doing things that they feel that they have something to share, that they want to get up and maybe, you know, do some speaking. Um, and, you know, they're very nervous that, hang on, well, you know, if I put my head up too far, you know, at what point do I, you know, do I start attracting this kind of, you know, negativity? And, you know, maybe they're not strong enough to, to deal with it. Yeah. It is a real shame because I heard Anna speak at Update, um, it was a year or two years ago now, and she was so, so good. So inspiring. I just thought she needs to, you know, and I know she has done this, be out there talking to young people, educating young people, because she was so brilliant. And it's a real shame that she feels that she can't carry on with that. Yeah, well. <sighs> so this week, I should say, <laughs> um, I'm joined by designer and co-host of that other podcast. <laughs> <coughs> What's it called? Like I no idea. Something like freelance web or something. Yeah, that's something it. Like that. Yeah, yeah which, which makes her the most famous person I know who comes from Norfolk. <laughs> hey, hang on a minute, Stephen Fry. Liz Elcote. You're Liz Elcote. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just kidding. I, I am just kidding. I, I love listening to you and um, um, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Is that his name? Yeah, Steve. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Stuart. Stuart. <laughs> yes. On the podcast. Hmm. No, I, I went to I went to Norfolk once. Okay. It was closed. <laughs> oh. Oh, yes. Well, that's oh, that's yeah. how we like to live our lives. We like to keep out the foreigners, the people from other parts. People from other parts. I'm actually not from Norfolk either. I've only lived here for just over a year, so uh, you can you can go for it with the Norfolk jokes. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. Where do you come from? I'm from uh, Hexham in Northumberland. So. Oh, well, all right, it's all right then, because I, you're a, you're a proper northerner then. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. yeah, yeah. I um, was born there, lived there for sort of my formative years, and then um, we moved to Lincolnshire, um, <laughs> which is even <laughs> who moves to Lincolnshire? Well, this is exactly it. Yeah, exactly it. And then, uh, kind of, I always used to. <laughs> My partner always asks at me because I always used to say that I'm from from near Cambridge because I never wanted to say I was from Lincolnshire. And uh, we, I lived really close to Peterborough, which is in effect Cambridge. Um, oh, so I used to say I'm a designer from near Cambridge, and he's like, "You can't be from near Cambridge. You've you've, you've got to be from either Cambridge or Cambridgeshire or Lincolnshire." So. Mm. Pocahontas came from Norfolk. No, she didn't come from Norfolk. Obviously, she lived in Norfolk. Have you just Googled that? I did Google that, actually. <laughs> I thought you had. I Googled yeah, famous had, people had from Norfolk. She syphilis or something, didn't she? That's not a great... Um, <laughs> not great... Did she, did she get syphilis she did in call, Norfolk? She, no, she... Well, I think she called it off John Smith, didn't she? Or whatever his name was. Um, which was kind of him. <laughs> Little holiday romance. <laughs> um, <laughs> come back with syphilis. How many times has that happened? <laughs> um, no, and other people from Norfolk, I can give you a little list if you want. Uh, Delia Smith. So... Oh, don't, best not go there. Why? Oh, Delia Smith. Honestly, but she's I like a Delia. character, she's like a character from Harry Potter. I want her to be my mum. Not a good, really? Yeah. Well, because she bakes cakes. 
Mm, she's just so snuggly, isn't she? Oh, I think. God, I sometimes see her on the telly because isn't she still a director at Norwich Football Club or something? Yeah, yeah. And she, she just is. she looks like a she looks like a gremlin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't speak about my mother like that. Um, the other one is uh, we have um, this is a really good one actually. John Hurt lives here. We Ooh. see him regularly. Really? Yeah. He's yeah. ace. Can't yeah, wait he for is. Doctor Who. He is. <laughs> is he? Is he in Doctor Who? Are you? Have you been on a different planet? I thought that that was um, the Scottish guy who was in that, or is he in it as well? What? The, 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 I can't believe John Hicks is going to be having epilepsy at this point. Um, no, the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special that's coming up in November oh, right. has John Hurt as the Doctor that we haven't seen. I didn't know that. He's he's like, there's, there's a Doctor that, oh, well, basically doesn't live up to the name of the Doctor, and he's been hidden away, and now that he's been discovered, and it's John Hurt. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Oh, man, it's going to be like the best thing on telly. I'm going to take the whole week off. He's he's so lovely. He's he really loves Norfolk as well, and he really pushes Norfolk. He's a big Norwich City fan as well. Um, he's one of one of the three. <laughs> and um, him and Delia. He, him and Delia, and he is a huge promoter of all things Norfolk. Um, <laughs> um, and the other one, Jake Humphrey as well. You know, of Formula One. No, I don't. And watch- Children's BBC. No. What oh, am I going to know about that? You just shot me down in flames. He's actually quite famous, and people of a certain age will know who he is from Children's BBC. He doesn't do it anymore, and now he's a Formula One presenter, and he's a BBC presenter and stuff. And he's lovely, and my partner knows him quite well, and we sort of chinwag with him and hobnob, which is quite nice. But then when you go, yeah, I was out with Jake Humphrey last night, people go, no idea who that is. Um, yeah. I sat on a train with Arthur Scargill once. Did you? Bloody hell. Whew. Takes me back to my youth. And I met, <laughs> when I was a student, I met Lenny Henry. Really? And he taught me and my friend Matt how to do the David Bellamy impression. Really? Yeah, because he used to be on Tiswas years ago. When Now you're talking about, you're talking about age, right? Remember yeah. This? And he used to do this David Bellamy impression where we go, grapple me, coconuts. Oh. And Lenny actually taught us when we were drunk in a pub car park how to do that. That's amazing. Um, my That's sister, what happens at my, art school. Yeah, I went to art school as well. Nothing that exciting happened. My sister fancied um, thingy, David Bellamy. What? Yeah, I know. Weird. She's even older than I am. I know. And also, she fancied Daley Thompson, which is slightly more obvious, isn't well, it? at least he's kind of athletic. And of an age that's not 50 years older than her. I bet he was buff in his youth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who, who? Older... Not David Bellamy. David. <laughs> I was say. Buff not botanist. sure about that. <laughs> um, I, do, I do think that... Uh, yeah, David Trump's a bit more obvious, but no. she. And <laughs> this is her other one. She's going to really love me for saying all this. Anthony Worrell Thompson. Of shoplifting fame and... Chef fame. Wow. Mm. She used to have this thing called a soap on a rope. How old is your sister? Is she like? She's she's fifty six. Four- she's fourteen years older than me, so okay. she's not she's knocking on a bit, but um, she's <laughs> she won't listen to the show. <laughs> no, she won't. It's fine. <laughs> um. So yeah, and she's fancy Anthony Roll Thompson. He was her soap on a rope, which I'm not sure what that meant, but it was something gratuitous and sexual. So you can get soap on a rope. Of celebrity soap on a rope? 
Can you? I don't know. I'm just making it up. It would be great, though. It could be like the niche in the market. Yeah, I think she used to have a sofa in a room that was shaped like printed, male genitalia. 3D printed celebrity soap on a rope. Yeah. Well, you can't print soap, but you could... Oh, I don't know. Anyway, just, we should talk about some other stuff. Okay. <laughs> you think it. nothing goes on in... You think nothing goes on in Norfolk? I went it's to... I went minute. to... I went to Shropshire yesterday. <laughs> mm. I went to the Revolution Conference, which yeah. was in Shrewsbury. Oh, lovely. And it was actually really nice. I've never been into Shrewsbury before. It's very pretty, isn't it? It's... Got, it's a bit like Chester in the way that yeah. it's got lots of medieval, bulge, bulging-fronted buildings. Yeah. That you yeah. wonder how they stay up. <laughs> yeah. But it was good. I really enjoyed it. It was the first conference, I think, certainly that I can remember, where I was just sat in the audience. And, uh, and that was really nice. And you... I don't know anything about it, I'm ashamed to say. Um, what... What was the general theme of the conference? Um, there wasn't really a theme. And I think that was one of the things that I think they can maybe improve on next year if they mm-hmm. do another one. Um, the talks were good, I'd say. Um, some were really good. But they hadn't been kind of curated in a way. You know, they hadn't been, mm. there hadn't, there wasn't sort of, it didn't look like there'd been an editor, like a, you know. A, yeah making the thing you know making the content kind of fit together um and i know sometimes that can be forced it's like oh let's have a conference all about mm. you know, all about table layout or something but <laughs> this was you know so i think that was one of the things that they can maybe improve on but there's some great talks there was one guy uh chris thorpe who i'm ashamed to say i'd not heard of before um, mm. but he was one of the people that had worked on the early alphas of gov uk mm-hmm and he did this amazing talk about 3D printing model railways. Um, wow. <laughs> and how he, st- and maybe there's a video or an audio of something of this talk at some point. I don't know. Really hope there is because he started off, he had chicken pox last year and he's always been a big, uh, model railway guy. Yeah. And very frustrated about, you know, what you can buy in terms of being, uh, Sort of dictated to by the toy manufacturers. Oh, here's a model of the Flying Scotsman or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and about how there wasn't an awful lot of fun in, you know, just buying a Flying Scotsman and sticking it on the track because it's like all you can do is unbox it. He wanted to be making things, right, with his kids. Mm-hmm. So he gets into 3D printing and starts making his own models. Um, and not only that, he goes out to places and scans actual, uh, you know, Wagons and oh, yeah. even he did he laser scanned whole bloody steam engines, oh, <laughs> which is That's phenomenal. And then he has like these incredible three D uh, models, like down to the down to the scratches, you know, and the dents, and it's wow. like the detail was incredible. And then making three D models of them, three D printed models of them, and how he's turned that into a business. And now um, he's basically set up a website where people can suggest what model, you know, what engine or what part they want to be produced. And then he will produce it. And literally he goes to trade shows with like a little download card, like a credit card that people buy for $10. And then they take the credit card home. It has like a, um, a code in there. 
and they can download the plans to then print out on their MakerBot or three D other three D printer. Oh my god! And I was I sat. This is the first talk of the day, and it, you know, it could have been the only talk, and I'd been happy. Yeah, it was so good. Wow! And how they're printing now replacement parts. So they they'd scanned like a latch from a door of Victorian steam engine because they they it needed replacing. So they scanned it, they 3D printed it, then they cast it, and now they've got an absolutely identical steel replacement part. Wow. That's absolutely astonishing. It's like the Industrial Revolution all over again. Well, he started off talking about the Industrial Revolution and how he showed this steam engine and he said, you know, this was at, in use at uh, a Welsh quarry for 80 years. Yeah. 80 years <laughs> they kept this thing going. And now, it's like, he said, you know, I, I, most farmers, you know, no, no farmers are going to keep like a JCB running for oh, 80 no, years. No. Um, and this whole kind of um, thing that's happened since the Industrial Revolution, really, kind of in consumerism, where we we don't create items, we create demand for items, mm. and everybody wants, you know, the new thing. Yeah. I'm guilty of that with the iPhone and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what happened to the old thing is that they just go into landfill. Yeah. Whereas in the past, people would actually, you know, they'd repair their own stuff. Yeah, definitely. I was listening to a program about this the other day where people were saying that uh, washing machines and, and toasters and kettles are so cheap that if it breaks, you never would consider getting it fixed. You just go and buy another one. Um, and that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. And how you should go and get things fixed and actually make them work for you. It was only last year that we replaced our fridge and our washing machine. And it's the own, they're, they're the only fridges and the only washing machines that we've had since we got married 24 years ago. <laughs> That's um, pretty good. That's pretty good. It was pretty damn good. But we don't expect the ones that we bought to last for 24 years. Exactly. And that's really sad. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think the quality of goods aren't the same, even at the high end now, are they? So... That was a good talk. I really enjoyed that. Good. It sounds um, brilliant. It sounds like every boy's dream. It was good. Well, I'm not big. I'm not kind of a steam engine guy. But I mean, I like steam engines. But you know, I don't kind of sit there and obsess over them. But mm. but that was a really good talk. Laura Calbag was on. She was good. Oh, she's great, is Laura, isn't she? Talking about accessibility. She said hi, by the way. Oh. Told, told her that we can do this. Yeah. Um, Johnny Snook was there. Um, I haven't seen him for well s- September. I think I saw him last. Mm-hmm. Um, did the same talk as I saw him do at Smashing Conf, which was it's like listening into it's like listening to your favourite album yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> Definitely, I I heard one talk that Aral did about I think it was probably about two years ago now, or maybe three at Future Web Design, and I've heard him do that two or three times, and I love it anyway. It was great. I could mm. listen to it over and over again. It's like a blueprint for how to do a really good talk. Oh, he's a performer. The guy. He's amazing. Yeah, we went on a workshop with him in September. What are we now? Oh, we're September now. It can't be in September. It must have been July, maybe. And um, it was so good. It's about talking at conferences and becoming a speaker. Very, very good. He was I really phenomenal. wanted to go. I wanted to go to that. You wanted to go to... To, to that. To Rawls, yeah. Um, but I just couldn't get down there on the day. No, we. it was actually such a cracking day. 
Um, he did that thing. I, I sort of spoke to Laura just before and I went, he's not going to make us do anything really embarrassing, is he? And she's like, no, of course not. So first thing he did was like make us all get on stage one by one and deliver a sort of, you know, three minute speech about what your passions are and your drive and stuff. And, and so you start panicking and go, well, what is my passion? What is my drive? Um, and so that we kind of got that over and done with and you relax for the rest of the day then. And then we all went out in the evening and Craig Lockwood was there and his lovely wife, Amy Duggan, was there as well. And that was just so nice. We sat around chatting and brilliant. Such great. Sean was there as well. Uh, or should I say Steve was there Simon. as well. Simon was there. <laughs> Simon was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'd all gone for cocktails the night before. And so he was slightly jaded on the day. But um, it was it was really, really good. Love Brighton as well. Such a mm. great place. There was a talk by uh, Joel Hughes, um, who, like Craig, is from Cardiff. Yeah. Um, have you met Joel? I haven't, no. No, lovely fella. Um, and he did this talk about mistakes. You'd have, you'd have liked it, actually, because it was very much about kind of, you know, mistakes I've made in business and yeah. you know, this kind of stuff. And it yeah. wasn't a techie talk and it wasn't, a, you know, one of these kind of manifesto talks. It was just basically him in his own style talking about stuff that he'd done right and yeah. wrong. It was good. Um, but one of the things he did, which infuriated me, um, was that he started off the talk by sort of saying, you know, and I apologise because, you know, this comes from my point of view, which you shouldn't apologise for. Yeah. He said, you know, and I only work on small sites. You know, the average site that I make is like 5K. Right, okay. He started off and it was, it was kind of almost apologetic in a way, as if somehow... Um, Having a business that that makes sells websites to people for an average of five k was <laughs> was somehow inferior to you know working on a product or you know or on some big site like gov u k or something like that and I just thought, why are you apologizing there's yeah. there's so much um so much to be proud of when you are a small business working for small businesses yeah and sake. regularly doing work for five k it's not really to be sniffed at, is it? It's it's pretty good. He needs to have someone give him a little talk and say, "Look, don't don't you know, do yourself down." But this is one of the infuriating things I think with a lot of the stuff that gets talked about, um, you know, around web conferences and things. I mean, yeah, I love I love hearing new stuff, but you know, so much of it um, isn't necessarily appropriate to us, you know, people that list or work uh, you know on smaller stuff yeah you know it'd be great if um you know if i could get clients to pay for you know content strategy yeah <laughs> or user testing and stuff like that. it never happens no in an ideal world but it doesn't really happen does it um but yeah i was just thinking to myself you know be there's a lot of stories to tell yeah, a lot of kind of battle scars that people have. Yeah, when you're working day in and day out for, you know, for, for, for clients, you know, for direct clients, and not working, you know, I don't know. People often say there seems to be this thing over the last couple of years of of people wanting to, you know, get away from doing client work um, and yeah. getting into making product. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? I actually enjoy. I mean, most of the time, and sometimes you think to yourself, I cannot. I just, I don't want to look at this thing anymore. Yeah, no, I <laughs> you know, If I have to see this style sheet for another five minutes, I'm going to go and, like, pulp my own head. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I really love doing client services. Yeah. I don't want to work on products. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that going back to the sort of £5,000 thing, I, I think actually for, uh, on a value, um, from a value point of view, for the client who's paying you £5,000, a small business, that is much more of a financial commitment and investment than their, than say this huge, you know, the huge company that's getting you to fanny about on one of their products or something. And they are putting a huge amount of trust in you to do that. Um, so it shouldn't be sniffed at at all, no, I don't I, think. No, I, you're right. You're completely right. And also, um, I really like working with people that really care about what they do. Yes, exactly. And, and also that you're doing something that could literally change their business. I work with a client, um, I mean, £5,000 on some of the projects I worked on would be delightful. I love that. Um, I work down to, you know, a couple of hundred quid logo designs and stuff like that. And if I really believe in a product, I will, um, you know, for a client, I'll really, and if, if they come to me and say, I want to do this project and I'll say, okay, what's your budget? And they'll say, well, it's not very much. I'll, you know, adjust accordingly. And if I feel really passionate about it, I'll work on it anyway. And I had a lovely client come to me, um, last year and we worked together on doing, redoing her packaging for her. She sold artisan cheese only in Norfolk. Um, she sold artisan cheese and, um, so she wanted to really get that out there to all the loads of delis and stuff around here. And it's actually great. I've watched it grow her business, the new packaging. I walked into a deli a while ago that stocked the cheese and sort of said, Oh, I've designed that. And she said, I only bought it because of how good it looks. She said how it tasted was actually really immaterial because it just looked so lovely. I wanted it in the, the, front of the cheese counter and i've seen her great we had a bit a meeting last week and we're doing a few more bits and pieces on it and um she said it's just fantastic how many more orders we're getting and stuff and that is i love that kind of thing and she's a friend now as well because we've worked so closely on it i've got a long-term relationship with her no it's 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 lovely i love yeah. doing stuff like that because people care i mean there's nothing worse i remember and i don't i, I kind of I didn't refuse to do it. It just kind of stopped happening. But you used to do a fair bit of local council work over the years. You know, yeah. you'd get, uh, particularly in Wales anyway, we'd get like a regeneration project. You know, let's let's spend £10 million trying to regenerate real. Yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah. Um, which was just, you know, oh, we've got a grant from the European Union for, you know, another £20 million. Let's, let's, let's build some crazy <laughs> thing in real. Yeah. Um, in the hope of bringing people in, which are, have you been to real? No, I haven't actually. It's I've like, only been to Wales once and that was for a horse show. So yeah, that was my extent of travel. Real's like the walking dead, but without the makeup. <laughs> Honestly. Uh. Um, but you know, you, you do these projects and nobody cared. Nobody, you know, these are like civil servants or local councillors or something. No, they didn't care. It wasn't their no. money. No, they, exactly. Um, and sometimes, you know, you work for big companies and you just know that you're, you do a great job, obviously, because you don't want to work on something where you're not giving it your all. Yeah. But you just know that they're ticking a box. Yeah, definitely. That website. Yeah. I tell you what, I had this couple of ladies come and visit me this week. They they actually came over from Holland. Oh, wow. A um, couple of wonderful, wonderful ladies that have a, a foundation that they set up, which helps musicians in war-torn countries. Oh, goodness. And... One of the things that they're doing at the moment is they're working with people, uh, with young musicians in Iraq mm. to set up orchestras and to um, 
get together, you know, all tribes yeah. um, of people get together to do things like composing because, you know, since the war, basically, you know, we, we, we hear so much kind of negative stuff about places like Iraq yeah. um, that, yeah, that they, fo- they focus on survival most of the time, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Whereas, that, and actually a lot of the culture, this is one of the things that, you know, you don't normally hear about, I think, yeah. you know, when it comes to these places, but so much of the culture just disappears yeah. and these musicians want to get together and start composing again and start playing music and, and you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. these ladies came to see me and they've got, you know, they've got a tiny budget really for, mm. for what they're doing, um, obviously, because it's a, a not-for-profit. Do you know what? I'm not going to charge them anything. No, that's fantastic. And they, they sent an email yesterday, so she told me, she said, were you serious when you said that you'd go to Baghdad? <laughs> which I did in the meeting. I said, oh, I'd love to go to Baghdad. Yeah. I knew it. And apparently, if, if it all kind of comes off, I might get to go to Baghdad. That'd to be amazing. Um, because they're going to host one of these workshops. And I said, to, I said, well, oh, I'd love to go there and shoot video and, you know, do photography and, you know, interview people for the website. And it would just be, oh, man, you get to go to Baghdad. That would be a wonderful experience. Um, so I don't know when or if, but I might go to Baghdad. Wow. That's a bit different from uh, Shrewsbury, isn't it? Well, you know. So this is one of the things that working for yourself lets you do, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. You know, if I was working for, I don't know, some big company, so you go to the boss and say, actually, can I have a couple of weeks off, please, Jimmy, to, to, go, yeah, go to do Baghdad? Baghdad? Yeah. Have you, have you always, I, I, probably other people know this have you always been self-employed or have you did you ever uh, work for a large company or a company um not on the web no i started off i went to art school and when i left art school i got into the photographic industry weirdly yeah um because i was i was a terrible painter (laughs) (laughs) but i really love photography so i got into photography and um, started off working with photographers in studios, basically, you know, just as a, as a photographer's assistant. Yeah. Um, which didn't pay at no, all. No. Um, and we moved down to London, so that made it even worse. <laughs> and then I did that for a little while and then sort of sidestep really. I got into hardware. Um, and I actually ended up working for, um, a camera manufacturer. Oh, right. um, this Swiss camera manufacturer over the years. And then from there, I got into digital photography. Um, this was like back in the, the mid nineties when digital cameras first started coming into the country. Yeah. And then from there, I went, um, I, I actually set up a digital studio for a, a small agency. And as part of the deal, I kind of went along with them. Um, and ended up running this, this, design studio ah. and it got me back into doing creative stuff again yeah. and it was actually i didn't train as a graphic designer i knew nothing about cork express or you know indesign or yeah. pages but i kind of just over 18 months i just basically taught myself yeah um, and did that and that got me back into the kind of client thing creative thing and then obviously when the web happened i set up my own business when we came to wales yeah so I've never, I'm, I, I'm actually, I, I think I'd be a terrible employee because I'm, I, I, I have a bit of an authority issue. Yeah, definitely. I am. <laughs> and I don't, I don't like people telling me what to do. No, 
No, no. And I think when you've worked for yourself for a long time, it gets even more difficult, doesn't it? You wrote something interesting, though. I was reading your blog and you wrote a post, um, I can't remember when it was now, not too long ago, um, Searching for the One. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But you said in this thing, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... (laughs) <laughs> they are your words. <laughs> what I'd really like is to find a company or individual in which to build a longer-term working relationship with, not in an employment capacity as such, but as a freelancer with benefits. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, I, didn't, I didn't think that through before I said that bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you wanted you were saying that you wanted yeah. to work more closely with the same people yeah. more regularly. What's what's behind that? Well, I um, I I have had long-term relationships with agencies in the past, and I still work with them on and off but as a lot of businesses have a lot of those have changed and um they've sort of grown over the years or you know people have separated and stuff so I'm not doing quite as much work for those and I worked with Ryan Taylor earlier on this year on a project on a small project and we I really enjoyed it he's such a nice guy and um of ha- Ryan of Havoc inspired and um I just thought I miss this kind of understanding each other's processes and honesty. Um, I always used to work with the same developer because I, I don't code anymore. I, and I certainly am absolutely diabolical at stuff like WordPress. I, I, I can kind of, do, you know, kind of code up a HTML, CSS site and stuff, but I don't do it that much and I'd rather leave it to people who are much better at it than I do. And I was always working with Jonathan on different projects and I miss, you know, I'm doing different stuff. I've done a lot more graphic design and packaging design and logo design recently. So I haven't done as much web design and I miss working with him and that, you know, sort of camaraderie, I guess, that comes with working with people that you know quite well. And though I went freelance um, almost well, no, it must be two plus years ago now. Um, uh, the thing that I do, and I don't miss being employed in the slightest. The only thing I do miss is the, you know, the bants that we had in the office and the lads and stuff. And, um, I really would like to find a company that I can work with on a more regular basis. Um, no. if that makes sense. And because no, what I find as a, as a freelancer, what I do is I'll, you know, find someone will approach me and say, Oh, do you mind working on this? And, uh, I'll say, no, that's fine. And then we'll have to go through all of their process and all of my process. And they'll have to look at my terms and conditions. I'll have to look at their terms and conditions. And we'll finally eventually get into a groove of working well together and understand each other's process and the project will be over. And, um, I think, Oh, okay. And then it all starts over again. And I think that. I'd really like to find an agency or a developer even that I work with on a regular basis. I think it's beneficial for both people as well because A, I understand their process and B, they know that they'll get a consistent level of work, you know, and they understand me, they know me, they know I'm not going to go, oh, I'm off on holiday now for two weeks without any prior warning. So I think it would be beneficial. Yeah. No, no, I do understand because we had a phase back kind of 2004, five ish. Um, where we, we set up another business and we worked with a, with a bunch of people and, uh, we had, I think in the office, it, ultimately there was like six, six or maybe seven mm. people. Um, you know, some designer developer types yeah. as well. And to be honest, it was a complete and utter bloody nightmare. <laughs> it was, it was a disaster. I mean, the whole thing, I've talked about this on the show before. It was a complete, drove me to, it literally drove me to the, to the brink of a nervous breakdown. Oh no. <laughs> um, it was, it was terrible. But one of the things that I, I look back on now is that 
I was quite productive, particularly in terms of writing. I did some of my craziest stuff that people know about, you know, Star Wars inspired yeah. CSS specificity charts, <laughs> yeah. stuff, you know, because you'd, there'd be an energy, um, yeah. and you'd, you'd 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 hear something or see something, and it would spark an idea. Yeah. Um, and I was better. Um, when I'm better when there's people around than mm. I am when I'm kind of, you know, dwelling on my own. Definitely. I completely agree. And we've found, I found anyway, that this year, because we've got Sue, our designer that works with us now, um, and I've got my enthusiasm back for lots of stuff. Mm. I haven't got bloody time to, to do it, really, apart from work. But, you know, I'm thinking, oh, God, and I'm having ideas for blog posts and stupid yeah. talks and things. Mm. Um, because... You know, there's that kind of energy going around. Yeah. I also miss, like, I guess I work from home and, um, you know, my, my partner's out all day, my daughter's at school all day, and I sit in my office on my own um, and I've only got my dogs for company. It sounds really sad, actually, doesn't it? And um, And so I miss, yeah, I miss that energy that you get from working with other people. And I, I, I miss meeting. I miss... You know, we used to shoot when I first started freelancing and I was still working for the old company that I'd worked for as an employee, as an employee. I used to shoot off to London for meetings and it was so invigorating to go places and see people and chat with clients. And, um, that just doesn't happen these days working with agency after agency after agency. I see my, you know, lady I'm doing the packaging design for and the odd client, one of my other clients is Benjamin Zephaniah, who I did his website for a couple of years ago. He's an awesome guy, so interesting. Um, and we, we chat regularly and that's great, but I want more of that you know i just definitely work better i'm more productive and i am um more focused when there are you know when i'm working with someone else and i'm on a i'm working i i'm not really a team player but i like being able to bounce ideas off other people and stuff you get to talk to sebastian once a week Sebastian, yes, sorry. On oh, the God. podcast. Oh, God. Oh, I was a bit slow this morning. It's Saturday. It's uh, a bit too early. Yes, no, I was going to say that. Actually, Sebastian used to be my, <laughs> used to be my, um, creative director at my old job. He employed me. How scary is that? He did my interview and <laughs> I should have known then. Um, he did my interview and we, he was a great person to work in the office with because he's highly inappropriate. You don't really get that on the podcast because he tries to be really good, but he's highly inappropriate and swears like a trooper and, um, used to appeal to my sense of humor. Great. And, and I'm really missed it because he left before me, really missed him when he'd gone and we all did actually and so it's so nice to be back involved with him again um and he's always been as sebastian someone that i turn to when i'm like oh a bit lost now he's like my big brother i'll be like oh god oh i don't know what to do about this and he'll be like very inspiring person to talk to about work and stuff um so yeah and actually i love the podcast that's probably the thing that's made me realize how much i'm missing working with regular you know companies because of how much i enjoy speaking to sergey every week that's the only other s name i think <laughs> sergey it's good <laughs> we should talk about our first sponsor this week um it's perch have you used perch i haven't no but i've heard a lot about it a friend of mine used it for their site and absolutely loved it yeah, we talk about Perch a lot on the mm. show. Um, and I mean, it's become my kind of de facto CMS. 
I mean, it's like that's where I go first. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes, Fantastic. sometimes you look at something and you go, actually, you know what? It would actually be easier, or you know, this is something that maybe would be better for Expression Engine, um, which is another CMS that I've used in the past. But ninety-nine percent of the time, it's like I'm going to go to Perch first. Oh, it'll do the blog. Ah, excellent. There's a blog plugin for it. Oh, they they, they need an events diary. That like, bang, there's an events add-on in Perch. I'm going to use Perch. So. Since we started using Perch, we haven't used any other CMS. I mean, I'm going to hold the other ones in reverse, but in re- reverse, in reserve. But Perch, Perch is the thing. Um, one of the things Perch does, if you want to check out what it, what it does, is they've launched three online demo sites. So if you want to get a better feel for whether Perch is the right CMS for you, you can uh, pop your email address into their site and they'll send you a link to their own hosted demo. Mm-hmm. And you can see what it's like to use Perch without you having to you know, build an entire site just to try it out. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can log into the admin area. You can tweak all the content. Um, and you know, there's several different designs of sites that you can play with. Mm-hmm. One of them's uh, a really bare bones uh, design without a lot of styling applied. Uh, the second one's more built out. It's more of a corporate site designed by uh, Laura Cowbag. Uh-huh. And the last one uses loads of the free add-ons for Perch. Uh, it's a site with a blog, a members section, um, an events diary. And that one was designed by Paddy Donnelly of Left. All right. He's a good guy. I love his work. <laughs> Um, all the demos are responsive and all of the code for the pages and the templates that they use is on GitHub. So you can just go in there and see how the things that they built were built and you can, you know, copy that stuff. Um, so would it be good for someone like me who is, uh, technically not that great and finds, yes, Yes, because I am hopeless when it comes to anything beyond HTML and CSS. Mm, Yes. Um, so I think we're very similar in that regard. Mm. They've also, if, if you follow along better with video rather than reading lots of, uh, text in a tutorial, they've put up lots and lots and lots of video tutorials as mm-hmm. how you do everything on Perch. And, you know, sometimes it's Drew, sometimes it's Rachel reading through this yeah. and showing you through this stuff. And it's, it's just brilliant. I've learned so much. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, I just like the fact that having all these add-ons available in the demo, it means that if you want to show a client how something works before you install it, then mm. you, can, you can just log into the admin and play around. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just brilliant. I, I really love it because I feel that I can understand 90% of how to make it work. Yeah. And, you know, I'm terrible when it comes to anything technical. Mm. Um, and yet it took me, you know, maybe a day, no more than that, oh, wow. just to kind of get my head around how we build things. And, you know, the way that I work is that, you know, I'll build static HTML templates, mm-hmm. get all the CSS stuff done. Yeah. Um, put out the JavaScript because I'm rubbish with that. Yeah. And then once the client's seen all of those <laughs> templates and, you know, clicked around them, then I'll go off and build a site. So breaking it down into all of the different pieces, um, pl- taking out my content and putting in the little calls to perch <clears throat> yeah. so that it's all dynamic. Oh, it's just so easy. Yeah. It's just really easy. Good. Sounds Sometimes fantastic. I, yeah, I, I got tripped up this week um, on something with an events, the events app, mm-hmm. um, and I had to get somebody else to you know show me how to do it. But you know now I know how to do it, and I won't have to to get it done next time. Yeah, so it's good. brilliant. I'll take a look. No, you should do. So 
that's Perch, and I really recommend that you have a look um, at, through the demos. Uh, grabaperch.com slash unfinished, and uh, that'll tell them that you heard about it here on the show. Fabulous. So let's talk about portfolios for a minute, because I was looking through yours, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, because one of the things I've got to do, because we're going to do a, a bit of a redesign on the stuff site, if I can find the time. Because <laughs> um, I'm ashamed to say that we haven't updated our portfolio um, since the well a year ago when I made that site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh God! In fact, I haven't added anything new. The only thing I've done is to take sites off it. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, I realised I realised that that one client had like moved on and not told me. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, awkward. <laughs> so the link. So the link. Um, it was only a small business, but it was a really nice little job. I mm. thought. Um, and I think they've had a new brochure done and, you know, mm. they obviously got persuaded to have a new website with it. So, you know, I, I realized one day that the link was pointed to some scabby thing that I didn't design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Ooh, uh, hello. Yeah. Awkward. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm thinking about portfolios and I'm thinking about, I wanted to show off responsive designs, but I don't want to do it where, you know, you just put screenshots into devices, right? Yeah. I don't want to have like, oh, here's an iPad, and oh, it's a I phone. Know. Yeah. So, so I'm really struggling to think about how you can present responsive designs without doing that. Well, <laughs> yeah, you're probably asking the wrong person here. Um, you're a designer. I know. Tell me. I know. Um, I don't know. I haven't really come across anyone who's cracked that. Have you? No. No. So maybe you're pioneer- pioneering something. Um, I, I, I'm not really into the whole, I'm just going to shoehorn my design into this iPad stroke iPhone, three different sizes thing, which you just referenced, um, because I don't think that actually means that much to clients. Um, and, uh, it might, I mean, it might to another agency, but it, it doesn't to some of the clients I work with. Um, I mean, I just have, on my portfolio, I have massive images of sites, um, of what, you know, if I've done a website, so say Benjamin's, for example, I've got a great big image of the homepage on there. Um, and, um, but I haven't discovered a way to, to portfolio responsive sites. So, I mean, I guess what I always do is put a link to the live site. So, and I find that when I'm on someone else's portfolio, I tend to click on that link to the live site just to see how good a job it looks when it's live. Because it's one thing putting JPEGs of your fabulous design, another thing altogether about whether it actually works when it's built and stuff. So I guess I always go and look at the live site. Um, and that's probably the best way to showcase it, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm just sorry. I'm just clicking through your portfolio. And yeah, Benjamin's <laughs> site is presented there on a 27-inch iMac screen. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. thanks for that. Yeah. Um, if you could have just glossed over that, that would have been quite handy. But, should should, should no. have looked at that before, really, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> and, and I shouldn't have mentioned that actually. But I, um, but, but it's um, hard. I think the reason I did that was because. But actually, when you click through to the actual portfolio. Uh, to the actual page with that on, it's just great. It's a great big image of it, and, and obviously I'm on there now. Like um, but um, I think but, that with that one, I wanted it because I do because I do a lot of graphic. Design, I do more graphic design than I do web design. 
I wanted that to be obvious that that was a website design I'd done. And the same with all the website designs I'd done. I wanted them to be an obvious, you know, this is a website design. I do website design as well. Um, and also within the kind of limitations of that front page, I wanted, uh, I wanted to kind of work out the best way to present a bit of a website. So that was it. And I guess that's why everyone uses it really to give it meaning. Mm. I'm thinking that, well, it's just, a, I don't know. It's tricky because there is a lot of skill, I think, that goes into reworking layouts so that they work on different sizes. Mm. And I think that it's good to demonstrate to people like, oh, well, here's an interesting bit that we did. You know, here's, here's how we changed the navigation or here's what we did with this particular component. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. I think is interesting to pull yeah. out, but I just want to avoid that cliched uh, <laughs> putting it in a Mac screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a bit of a cliche. I mean, who'd do that? What kind of I've loser would ever do that? Crazy! <laughs> no, and to be honest, I'm going to be blatantly honest with you, I didn't have time when I was doing my site to give it that much thought. It was, uh, I need to get this done. I'm one of those people that's like, when they decide something, I need to get it done and... um I didn't have the time because the amount of work I had on to fanny about forevermore with my own site. And I didn't want to get caught up in that either. And I wanted to get it to a level where I could just say, here's my portfolio site and give people and give agencies enough of a, cause I don't, you know, clients, I don't really use it that much for client work. Um, but for other agencies and other developers that I work with, I didn't want them to be able to see my level of design skill really. Mm. I, maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't yeah, know. maybe you you need to deliver something different to me. You well, know, fundamentally, I I'm a designer who works with agencies most of the time. What they want to see is what my designs look like. I want to talk about that after the yeah. after the next break. But yeah, I just maybe I'm just overthinking it because mm. I remember like a few years, two years ago, I took my entire site down and just replaced it with like a blog. Mm. Um, I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have an about page. I didn't have anything. And I just put it down thinking I need to take this scabby old site down. Mm. I put something up. I'll give myself four weeks to design a new one. And meanwhile, there'll just be a blog. Yeah. And 12 months later, I still hadn't put the new site back up. Mm-hmm. And yet I'd still been busy every single week, yeah. right? So I think if, if it's doing the job yeah. and you're obviously, you know, you're not suffering for it, then then why worry, I suppose? That was what my thinking was behind it. And I initially had, it was, you know, a lot more stuff on there as in wording and what I did. And I just thought, look, no one's interested, Liz. This isn't your all about Liz page. It's like this is the work I do and this is what my design style is and that's it. That's all mm. I wanted to get out there. And that has served me really well since I did it. Um, and I'm happy with it. So um, I'm weirdly, I also have a design agency that I use. I, I own, I run a design studio. I should say that I use more for client work, which is called Capriccio. And at the moment, I'm just designing the website for that, and I'm hating every single minute of it. I went to bed last night thinking, do you know what? I'm just going <coughs> to trade under LizElcote.com from now on. I can't be doing with all of this because it's a lot more complicated doing your site that's going to be for clients than it is for doing a portfolio site that you're going to send out to agencies. Mm. A lot more complicated. Um, and I think what's really good is I have my, um, partner who's not in the industry at all 
And what I'll say to him is, does this make sense to you? Because he he's very interested in web design and design as a whole. And I'll I'll show him something and say, does this make sense to you, what I've written in here? And if he says no, I'm thinking, well, it's not going to make sense to any other clients either, really. And I do find that. I go on a lot of agency websites and it's all a lot of it. It's like no no normal client, no no carpet shop or, I don't know, <clears throat> you know, food producer is going to understand what any of that means. No, I get that. I mean, I, because obviously, you know, I've got a stuff and nonsense site and it's kind of, that's the name and my blog is on there when I choose to write about Doctor Who mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> soap or something. <laughs> but I think people realise that, you know, well, it's different now, of course, because it used to just be me and now, of course, it's Sue. So we are actually a real business. Um, but, you know, I just kind of, if it is just you, then, yeah. you know, why, why, why make it something else? Yeah. I mean, Capriccio, I, I use other people with, I use the same developer. Um, I've got a photography husband and wife team who do the photographs and stuff. So we are, we are a team. Um, and I'm just kind of growing Capriccio. I've been trying to grow my freelance work, um, to start off. I guess I need to sit down and ask myself some questions. I think you get to the point where you're like, do you like, shall I just trade under Liz Alcote and just do everything under there? Or shall I have this separate entity, which is Capriccio, where, uh, it's more client focused. It's more, um, like a shop front. Um, I guess I, I would imagine other people have a similar, um, problem at times. And, um, yeah, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't want to have LizAlcote.com and then Capriccio where it's just me and, but I'm using the dreaded we for everything. You know, the whole mm. we do this and we do that, even though it's you on your own in your office and stuff. So it's a, it's a tricky one. I, I haven't really decided. Was about, Joel was talking about that yesterday in yeah. the, uh, in, in his talk, um, mm. you know, about kind of being authentic. Yeah. And, definitely. you know, not doing that thing where you try to make yourself look bigger than you are no because i think that just really gets you in trouble actually and i think if you're honest from the outset your client trusts you then but if you're sort of implying that you have five team members and then suddenly they realize it's you in your bedroom the trust is going to go out the window really quickly i try not to do oh tell you what, so let's 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 do a sponsor and then we'll talk about this because i think okay. this could be a big topic come back to this in a minute our second sponsor this week um, which you probably haven't used either. Yeah. <laughs> Hammer for Mac. No? no. <laughs> Clueless. No, I've heard of it though. <laughs> oh dear. I've talked about a lot, a lot about Hammer for Mac before on this show. Um, but I do, I really, really love it. Um, and you know, I don't think you have sponsors on your show with, uh, with Simone, do you? <laughs> but. We, we do, and, uh, there are always things that we actually really like to use ourselves. You know, the conferences mm-hmm. and, and, and products and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was at that revolution conference yesterday in Shrewsbury and a lot of people came up to me and they said, you know, I heard about Hammer for Mac on Unfinished. Mm, yeah. And, you know, they said, I, I don't know how we, we'd work without it now. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really, really good. So it's great that we can talk about things that I think make a difference. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good feedback about it, actually, joking apart. A lot of, but it's quite buzzy at the moment, isn't it? Mm. It's the thing for people in the know, you know. Yes. <laughs> so Hammer for Mac is for people who write HTML. What does it do? Well, it speeds up your workflow. So 
Where do I start? Hammoth Mac. It compiles SAS. You know about SAS? Yeah. Good. Okay. Coffee script. Yeah. Really? I don't I have no clue what that's about. You're just saying yes to everything now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and I know that there are plenty of ways um, and other tools that you can do that compilation thing, but Hammer does a lot more than that. The way it works is that, you know, we are talking earlier on about me um, making static HTML templates mm-hmm. for my clients. Yeah. Well, the way that Hammer works is that I set up a project, just a you know, folder with stuff in it, and Hammer takes those production files... And then it compiles them into a build folder that's inside the project. Mm-hmm. So it creates this um, build folder right inside the project. And that's where all the compiled HTML and CSS yeah. and JavaScript ends up. And that means that I can keep my working files, my development files, really clean. Because yeah. Hammer lets me use HTML includes. Mm-hmm. So they're a bit like PHP includes, yeah. but they're just HTML, right? And I can break down all of the little nuggets in the site, you know, navigation and footer and all those repeated yeah. elements, I can break those down so I can just change them in one place. Brilliant. And Hammer's got clever paths, so you never have to uh, write the full path through an image again or a script or a style sheet. You just put the file name in, and then when it compiles, Hammer goes and finds that, and it writes the right path into the compiled HTML. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I've been using Hammer for Mac now since the beta, and I really love it. And it seems from what people tell me that... Other people really love it too. So there's a free trial available. Um, but honestly, if you write HTML of any kind, just, mm-hmm. I mean, just do yourself a favor, pony up for the full copy. You won't regret it. It's 16 pounds, English pounds, mm-hmm. um, with the queen on it. Um, 16 pound 99, um, or 23 dollars 99, your colonial American dollars, <laughs> um, in the Mac App Store. And you can find more at hammerformac.com slash unfinished. Fabulous. So what I was going to say, before we got rudely interrupted by a sponsor, <laughs> was you do a lot of work for other agencies. Mm-hmm. I try not to. In fact, I know Laura Kalbag has like a no agency yeah, rule. Yeah, she She's does. Like, don't mm-hmm. darken my door. Yep. Um, and I, I'm hopeless, so I don't work with other agencies most of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. because I like to get things done my way, not theirs. (laughs) But you, on the other hand, you do a lot. I do, I do, yeah. Um, So does that cause a problem when it comes to putting things in your portfolio? Well, weirdly enough, um, Sebastian and I discussed it on this week's show. And uh, What show is that? (laughs) Can't remember. The freelance web or something. Um, And neither of us, weirdly enough, have ever had a problem. I've had... I've probably asked once whether I can put something on a portfolio and had someone once say, not, not right now. Um, and, and that was it. Um, I mean, when I was, when I was working for my old company, the old employer, and then I went freelance and they employed me as a freelancer for a while, which was a complete disaster. But I obviously couldn't put any of their work on my portfolio because they were, that's not how they wanted to work. Um, but I did push it with them. And I think part of the problem was that they worked for the public sector. So they were known as this public sector agency. Um, and so they didn't want other people to know that, you know, they didn't want me to leave, basically. So my boss was a bit like, no, you're not putting that on your portfolio because I want you to come back to us. Um, and so kind of made my life a little bit difficult. But there were a couple of clients that were not public sector. They were just 
friends of his who wanted, you know, one of them to wanted one of them one of them wanted to have a website. Um and um so I would say to him, look, I'm not I'm basically not doing this unless you let me put it on my portfolio. So that could go on my portfolio. But to be honest with the agencies, most of them I go up front beforehand and say, in my terms and conditions, I want to use this on my portfolio and I will reference you and reference the people I've worked with on it. Um, but I haven't had a problem with that at all. And I, I'm sure I will do one day, but not so far. It's actually really good that you've got that written into your TOCs or your contract. Yeah. Because yeah. we have a little thing at the bottom of ours, which is, you know, we love to talk about stuff that we do. And, yeah. you know, you've seen the thing in the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally, you know, it's, it's just kind of polite. You know, you wouldn't put something up on the portfolio until it's gone live. No, of course. And of course, you know, the flip side of it is not everything that you do is going to end up on the portfolio. Well, no, there is that time when something hasn't worked out quite as you'd hoped because of other input and you think that's not going on my portfolio (laughs) i did did have a project several years ago and uh it didn't go perhaps you know as well as i as i wanted i didn't end up with the thing that i I Mm. wanted uh, that i thought that i was going to set out to make um and i think the client thought that they would get quite a quite a lot of a boost of pr boost by you know me blogging about something and of course i actually did get that dreaded email which says you know you're going to blog about our project and i'm thinking no I don't really want to do that. No. But I well, suppose it's, it's a problem for developers as well as designers because, you know, if you if you develop something, if, you, if you're a developer, you know, I don't know, JavaScript developer or mm-hmm. PHP developer or something, mm-hmm. I don't know what they do, um, and you're coding up somebody else's design, what the hell do you put on your portfolio? Well, I don't agree with you. No? I um, No, I don't agree with you at all because I think that what the finished product you put that on your portfolio, don't you? You say, I did this part of this project. So, you know, even if you're doing a small amount of it, you can reference the part of the site that you had input into. Because I spoke to Ryan Taylor about this, who, and he, he said, because he's got a great portfolio, and I think he's redoing it at the moment, um, and he's a developer. And so I said to him, you know, is that ever a problem? He said, no, not at all, because I've I've had the input in that work. That looks and works as it does because of me. And there's absolutely no reason why I wouldn't put that in my portfolio just because someone's done the visual part of it. But main, mo- a lot of the visual part of it is the way it works and the coding behind it. So he said, and, and weirdly enough, uh, not long ago, someone approached me and said, can you recommend a developer for me? And I recommended a chap I know. And uh, we've always had arguments because he doesn't have a portfolio. He doesn't have a website. Well, he does have a website. It's a single page. There's nothing on it. And I've always said to him, you need to, you need to get a portfolio so people will see the work that you've worked on. And he said, oh, no, 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 I don't need to. And I said to this guy, yeah, use him. He's great. I use him for everything. And he went, I'm not going to because he hasn't got a website. So he's kind of shot himself in the foot there. He said, I, I, I have to see some of the work he's done. Well, I'm I not- get that. And <clears> I suppose, I suppose yeah. if, 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 if you're in the know and you know what to, what you're doing when you're hiring a good developer, you're going to look at HTML for one thing. You know, you yeah. can see that. And I suppose that, you know, ah, oh, clicking that menu and does it does it smoothly scroll yeah. down? Is that is that the right speed? Is is does the interface feel laggy? Yeah. That's that's a developer's job. Exactly. So yeah, no, I, I I get it. I do I do get it. Um, I think what I was remembering was I think we had this conversation with Anna where she said that she felt difficult putting stuff on her portfolio because people would expect that she designed it as well as yeah. you know coded it. Yeah, I can imagine, but I guess that's about communicating and just 
making that as clear as possible through your copy. Um, and I, but I mean, all people always make assumptions. A lot of people don't read copy, do they? They just, mm. you know, go on and have a look. Um, so yeah, I can see that would be a problem. But, um, what about you? Do you struggle with NDAs and stuff like that? And, you know, being able to use stuff and, and... uh, I have done over the last couple of years because mm. I worked on um, a lot of scuff, a lot of stuff for STV mm-hmm. up in Glasgow, yeah. some of which hasn't seen the light of day yet. Um, so I can't show that. And I was there literally, uh, you know, I was doing one week a month for them. So it was, mm. a, it was a fairly long yeah. project. And then the other thing I did um, was uh, I worked on a government project, which you know, I obviously can't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while so i was under nda most of my time for like a whole year um and you know i've got nothing to show for that really in terms of portfolio so people go well what were you doing um and worst of all i i went to uh, i went to one client meeting for a project that we didn't get and the guy's like well can you can you show me some of your recent work and it's like well man the recent work is like 18 months old mm, yeah that's um, pretty tricky i mean i know sarah tweeted uh, sarah parmenta tweeted about this yeah. uh, about the difficulty of you know working behind an NDA was it last week um because yeah. I think she's been finding it similar I mean I know you know we, we don't have to play to the crowd I mean I don't care you know you get some idiots on Twitter that will go oh blimey you know well what's Andy Clark done recently you know mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. a bit of speaking and you know what, what's the last website he's he's launched um yeah but I don't care about those people it's but no. you know, when when you want to be showing stuff to clients, and it's like, oh, I can't really show you that because it's you know, it's, yeah. it's tricky. Yeah, it is. I guess there's different levels as well. There's a complete sort of no, do not, you know, you cannot show this to anyone else. And I guess there's levels that as long as you don't put it in your portfolio, I'm happy for you to show people the work. I've had that quite a lot um, previously. You know, I'm happy for you to send them a link to the work or show demonstrate the work but i don't want it on your portfolio which is slightly more easy to manage well, i suppose because um, i suppose that you know there, there are good reasons for having an nda when it comes to business right i mean if i'm working for somebody on a new product i don't want to be mm, giving yeah. somebody one of their competitors um you know a clue about what they're doing and about what it's going to look like yeah. and all that kind of I completely understand that um but so many of the things that I've done where I've signed an NDA, to be honest, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary. You know, the yeah. Hillsborough thing, right? I mean, I was under strict home office NDA, yeah, not to talk or share anything about the Hillsborough project before it went live for obvious yeah. reasons. Cause you know, I'm not yeah. the one that's going to announce that. It was the prime minister that announced that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, actually, I wish I'd have done it now, bloody David Cameron. Um, <laughs> don't get me started. But you know, most of the things that you do, they don't need an NDA. Um, no, completely. Yeah, because you know, you know, wow. I mean, and also, you know, you're not showing off, you know, the business model. You're showing off potentially, you know, interface elements or, uh, you know, yeah, or page exactly. layouts or you know, responsive shenanigans. Yeah, I think people just write it in as a. A lot of these big companies or whoever write it in as a sort of you know default thing that they use um and i don't know whether it's worth perhaps chatting to them about it and saying can i just show certain elements or whether they'll just be a blanket mm. no I, I guess each one individual i did that um three wise monkeys nda 
um, alongside mm-hmm. the contract killer. Have you used that yet? Yeah, I, I haven't, no. Um, because I just got sick to death of receiving, you know, three to four sides of A4 gobbledygook when it comes to NDAs. Um, yeah. And, you know, Lord knows what you can say and what you can't say. So I just thought, Christ, I'm just going to like reduce it down to like half a page of A4, basically. We're not going to talk about yeah. each other's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind yeah. of essentially it. Job done. Um, but we, we got, I got an email from, uh, Peter out at Maple Design the other day, um, mm-hmm. about this. And he said, with the NDAs you signed, can you later say that you worked on a project? You know, I've no mm-hmm. problem not talking about anything while it's being built. My problem with NDAs mm-hmm. is that you can't talk about it after the project's being launched. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and not get any credit for the work. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, you know, like the Hillsborough thing. I know that I wasn't allowed to talk about it before David Cameron stood up and, you know, announced it. But, you know, was I within my rights to say, oh, I designed that? I think, I think that's something you, if I personally, I would go to them and say, now it's gone live. I mean, I've had people say to me, I oh, don't say anything yet. And then, um, after it's gone live, I've gone, oh, look, come on. Don't be ridiculous about this. It's gone live now. And they've gone, oh, yeah, that's fine. Use that now. Um, so maybe it's worth, um, perhaps putting that into a written document, a contract or whatever. I think beforehand. I think I might want to revisit that Three Wise Monkeys mm-hmm. thing because, you know, I remember, you know, lots of friends of mine that, you know, worked for Apple. Um, being mm. the, the, the prime example. Well, you know, you can't claim credit for anything that, that you did at no. Apple. You know, it's, it's an Apple product or an Apple store, Apple mm-hmm. design. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, I know the people that made the tabs on the version of the store, right? They're not yeah. putting the tabs of the Apple store on their portfolio. No. Um, so I can kind of understand it from that point of view. Yeah. Um, but it does make it tricky. It does. Yeah. Especially when you work on a project like the Hillsborough thing. Don't see why you can't now be honest about that. No, well, I have done, and I've written about it. Um, mm, I wrote it. Yeah. I wrote about it on day one. Um, and you know, the UX people that we worked with, they did the same thing. So I kind of felt in good company. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to. Otherwise, you know, as you say, your portfolio has not been updated for eighteen months or something, and people are like, "Why not?" I I don't think it's fair to expect you to do that from a and you know from the. Uh, person you're working with point of view i don't think it's fair of them i certainly wouldn't if it was me i certainly wouldn't feel that was appropriate for someone doing work for me i just think that i mean it's important to have a good portfolio on there because Mm. i for for, a couple of reasons i mean we had that guy you know and uh it was like can you show me you know some of the stuff you've done recently can you show me some stuff that's kind of similar to you know how you might approach my job um Mm. and that's one you know if you can answer that yeah. question before they get to you, then that's, that's obviously a good thing. And then mm. the other thing I've found over the years is that what you put on your portfolio is the kind of work that you attract. And mm. we had a stage, you know, back in the day where most of the stuff that we had on the portfolio was, was online stores. Yeah. And it was e-commerce stuff that was, the, you know, the work that it was generating. Cause I, you know, I think yeah. people have got, very, some, sometimes people have got very little imagination. And they're like, oh, yeah. well, yes, well, he's done a store there. So, the, but they look at the site and they go, oh, well, I can't, I can't see that he's done anything for for for, for widgets. 
and then, yeah. then they move on. So he, clock, he obviously, he obviously can't, can't do. <laughs> yeah. So I think. Yeah. No. Um, so, but our portfolio at the moment is is severely lacking, um, mm. and I need to uh, I need to get onto that. I I really try to stay on top of mine. I think from my point of view, I have to because. I think just to be constantly keeping fresh stuff on there and taking stuff off there that I go back to maybe six months later and go, mm, I've got better stuff now, you know, or that's not really working anymore. I do try to stay on top of it as much as possible. Um, and we were talking about, well, I wasn't talking about this, but Sean was talking about this with Dan Edwards when he interviewed him last week. How much, you know, finding stuff to fill a portfolio, how much is it is, is it acceptable to do stuff that you've used you've done in your spare time so so dan had perhaps mocked up um a a ui that he'd wanted to do for pinterest and it wasn't you know they weren't asking him to do that it was just him in his spare time he'd given himself like a day to do it or a few hours to do it popped that on his portfolio and he said as long as you were honest about that he doesn't see a problem with it what do you what do you think I've i've had side projects on there before um, mm. because sometimes that can, you know, when you don't have constraints or as many constraints, it can take you in a different direction. And, you know, people yeah. might, might be, you know, it might be something that they're looking for. Yeah, definitely. I remember a future web design a few years ago. Um, I think Mike Cuss had redesigned Innocent Smoothies. It was a bit of a, um, just a project for future web design. He'd just done it. Um, you know, without them being involved at all. And I thought, that's fantastic. Could he get away with putting that on his portfolio? I can't remember if he did. I think, it, I think he didn't actually in the long run. But I, I guess as long as you're completely honest about it and say, look, Innocent didn't ask me to do this. I've done this off my own back. Then that's okay. Mm, I think that's dodgy ground, actually. Do you yeah, think so? I think so. I mean, you know, putting side projects on there is, is one thing. Yeah. Um, putting on something which it could be misconstrued as. Yeah. that you've worked for them. And also, you know, you are using somebody else's copyright brand asset, brand. assets yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. It, there, is, um, there is a passing off law, I think it's called, mm. Google passing off. Um, and I think it's basically when you kind of make out that it is something but it isn't. Um, yeah. And I'd, I'd be a bit wary of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was very interesting, actually, the chat with Dan, because uh, a lot of his portfolio is... Side project. I met him yesterday. Yeah. You? Is that the first time you've met first him? First time. We've had a, we've, we've had run-ins on Twitter. Um, How but, you? no, in, in, in a good way. Latterly. Oh, okay. Um, but no, so, <laughs> so I met him. Yeah. Yes. He's a, no, he's a, he's a, he's a lovely guy. Yeah. I met him at net, the net awards. Um, and he was very pissed because he just won young designer of the year and he called me Rachel for the entire time, which I've called him on a few times on Twitter. Um, and, um, but he's a nice guy. And actually, he was really, I, I listened, I must say, I didn't listen to the interview when it went out, which was a couple of weeks ago now. And I actually finally got time yesterday and I was like, oh, that was really good. Mm. Um, and really good ideas on it. Um, yeah. And I think that he, he filled up parts of his portfolio. And also he said, which I guess goes back to what you just said about people thinking you can only do what's on your portfolio. If there's something that he wants to work on or do, you know, do that on the side and show that you can do it, and then people will tend to employ you for mm. that. No, definitely, definitely. Well, listen, it's Saturday morning, and I'm sure you've got far better things to be doing than talking to me. Well, I'm watching a JCB drive around my back lawn at the moment. 
Well, I'm happy for mm. you. <laughs> Only in Norfolk does that happen. <laughs> That's how we do the gardening in Norfolk. Man, what size of garden have you got? It's pretty big. Pretty eight big. acres. <laughs> no, no, not eight acres. This is this is damn fort that they're taking out of the back. Oh, garden, of course, so, yeah. Um, I'm I'm quite happy to hide in here. I don't really want to get involved. And there's small children running about, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of small children. No, so. I like I like children, but I couldn't eat a whole one. No, exactly, exactly. So I'm just hiding. It looks chaos actually out there. There's three small children, four dogs, and several adult, adults who seem to be wandering around, looking like they don't know their ass from their elbow. So I think I'll just leave them to it. Well, I'm going to leave you to it. We should wrap <laughs> up. Um, yeah. People can follow you on Twitter at Liz mm. underscore E. Yeah. I hate underscores. Sorry. All the links. I wasn't, th- I wasn't thinking of you when I, when no, I, I know, it's that just name, so awkward, isn't it? Cause you've got underscore. <laughs> Liz, uh, we just need to change it. Underpants. Um, Liz, underpants Liz underscore E. And yeah. all the links we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes. You'll find them at unfinished.bz slash 38. That's the number 38. And to ask questions and suggest topics, you can message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz or email he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Hammer for Mac and Perch. And uh, thanks, Liz. It's okay. It's a pleasure. See you soon.